George, I wish you'd look at the nursery. What's wrong with it? I don't know. Well, then. I just want you to look at it is all and call a psychologist in to look at it. What would a psychologist want with the nursery? You know very well what he'd want. His wife paused in the middle of the kitchen and watched the stove busily humming to itself, making supper for four. It's just that the nursery is different now than it was. All right, let's have a look. They walked down the hall of their soundproofed happy life home, which had cost them $30,000 installed. This house which clothed and fed and rocked them to sleep and played and sang and was good to them. Their approach sensitized a switch somewhere and the nursery light flicked on when they came within 10 feet of it. Similarly, behind them in the halls, lights went on and off as they left them behind with a soft automaticity. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris, and today I'm here with... Christy Baxter. Hey, Christy. Hey, Chris. What? <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am fantastic. You know, I read this story this week. I, I, you're supposed to read a story every week. <laughs> yeah. But this one, I think you've read. Which one do you think it is? Uh, I believe it's The Velt by Ray Bradbury. Absolutely. And it is an absolute classic of science fiction and not only of written science fiction but also of uh, adapted science fiction we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit but this was not the first time you read this right no I read it in grad school and uh, was definitely it did stick with me it stuck around it's one of those stories that just kind of lingers in your soul leaving this kind of dread <laughs> <laughs> and I believe we had in the in the our, our discussion of the story quite a I don't want to say disagreement but a spirited conversation about uh who the antagonist truly is yeah this is one of those stories that is Ray Bradbury being incredibly nihilistic about the future based on two things what he was observing about the rising middle class and the youth culture and two about technology, because this is a story that is talking about the corrupting influence of television on the lives of the young. And I think that the best part about that is, you know, it's kids in a nursery with a video wall and there are lions. And then there's a mother and a mother and a father who are absolutely unlikable. Uh, you yes. cannot like mom and dad in this one. They are so unlikable. Oh. But what happens is their uppance comes. And we have to wonder whether or not the villains in this are the childs, the children, the technology, or the parents. That is exactly what we spent a couple of days dissecting together. Yeah, it's definitely, you're definitely right. The parents are not likable at all the children are not likable but then you have to argue is that the parents fault is that technology's fault is it a combination of the two and then the technology is just it's uh, got a malevolence to it that is i think you know fed by the children but could possibly be a malevolence sort of of its own exactly and what i kind of think he was going for was it becomes a feedback loop 
is that the malevolence of the house is imposing itself on the technology and projecting it back at them. And I think that that whole realm of the idea uh, really plays into what he was seeing in the rising of television at that point. Because you have to remember, this was 1950. And Ray was on the cutting edge of the consumer culture. But what's shocking is he's recognizing how television influences a generation. And this is, again, very early. Uh, and then he's saying that what's going to happen is once that generation has been influenced by the popular culture medium that is available to them at all times, it's going to start feeding back that those are going to become their things. In a way, this is actually about reality television. Um, and it becomes a great worry to me <laughs> that <laughs> we're seeing this come true. Yeah. But now, did you listen to the Colbert version? Yes, I did. I loved it. Yeah. There have been dozens of adaptations of this, uh, starting with uh, Dimension X and X-1 in the very early 50s. Uh, the Stephen Colbert one, it's on selected shorts uh, from NPR, National Public Radio. Um, and he milks every bit of emotion. His, his voice acting is incredible. Um, but if you can't find it, in 1987, a film called The Velt was made in the USSR, and it's called the first Soviet horror film. Oh. And it is tense. It's like, wow, this is the best adaptation of a science fiction story I have seen out of the Soviet Union. And I love Soviet cinema. <laughs> That's definitely interesting. And I wonder how, you said it was in 87? Yeah. I wonder how in the 80s, people from Soviet Russia, from, from the Soviet Union took that particular piece of media because they would, I would assume, see it fairly differently than we would. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is a lot of Soviet cinema looks at uh, reflections of the West and how they're better than that. Mm -hmm. And in a way that's playing into that idea. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I can see that. And this is a great story for that. Um, in the Bradbury oeuvre, he often works with this idea that uh, technology is a, I, I would argue it's not a corrupting influence as much as it is a maddening influence. And in that way, it sort of feeds in with this idea that technology and magic have this sort of similar idea. So when it goes fantasy, it's this idea that the, the magic in the world is leading people to do terrible things. Mm -hmm. When he's writing science fiction or horror, and we'll talk about that in a second, he's talking about how the technology gives people the tools to do what they're already in their heart they want to do anyhow. Ah, see, I can see, I can see it that way. I can also see it sort of a slight twist on that idea that the technology is sort of deadening the 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 better like the better angels of the the children you know or people in general um because let's let's do the analogous example of television you know his 
everybody said, you know, turns kids into zombies and, you know, it'll melt your brain if you watch it for too long. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of zombification and not really having a, a good heart anymore, that's sort of what I feel like the technology does to the children. Their addiction to it deadens them so that uh, to the point of like just complete sociopathy. Which brings us, of course, to Harrison Bergeron. Uh, very similar theme there. Uh, uh, that's called callback. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things I really love about this is, again, I would argue that Bradbury was a masterful wordsmith, but he does some stuff here that always gets me. Uh, now the hidden odor phonics were beginning to blow a wind of odor at the two people in the middle of the baked velt land. That to me feels like an author who is trying awful hard to establish that you are enveloped in this. And he's trying to use that by enveloping you with words. Yeah, and he's using, which is a, a good, not just using words, but he's using the senses too. Mm -hmm. um, and he, he does the very next sentence, the hot straw smell of lion grass, the cool green smell of the hidden water hole, the great rusty smell of animals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then into the sounds and then into some of the sights. And we even get some of the feeling when we, the, the paragraph ends with the shadow flickered on George Hadley's upturned sweating face. Mm -hmm. And so you get all of those sensations and he is immersing you in all of the physical feelings and senses of being in this place that isn't even real. Yeah, it is a definite visceral reaction. The official word of Short Story Short Podcast. I believe we're supposed to drink when we say visceral. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. Now, the question, though, I think is one of the most interesting is, is this a horror story or is this a science fiction story? Well, I am of the school of thought that genres can very much blend, which is how I get off scot-free by saying both. <laughs> and you know, honestly, this is one of the times where, because I usually am a blend guy, but here I really think that th what he is doing is to invoke not a fear of the situation or even the characters, but it is a fear of what made the story possible. And I think that actually leans it away from horror and toward science fiction, because I think that if you take away the technology from this story, it doesn't work. You're right about that, because he, he, use, he does use the technology to make the horror happen. So I do agree. So if if I were to take my genre blending self and try to classify this with that in mind, then I would say it is science fiction with elements of horror. Oh, look, you just skirted a line. <laughs> yes, look at me skirting away. <laughs> uh, yes, and I, this is one of my favorite stories overall. I want to say that this is probably one of the five most important science fiction stories of the 1950s. And I think one of the things about it that makes it so is that it is a story so deeply tied to earth and not space. And I think that difference is huge. Yeah, it makes it a lot more relatable for the reader because it's, it's still our world 
we're not talking about other worlds or we're not talking about being on a spaceship or, you know, there's no aliens. And I mean, it's especially recognizable now. It's kind of impressive how it holds up in a way because we have, you know, the internet of things. We mm-hmm. talk to inanimate objects in our houses and order them around. And I'm gonna do th- I'm gonna do this to mess with future Christy. Okay, Google. <sighs> like five things in my house just probably lit up. <laughs> so so yeah, we have sort of, you know, it's it's certainly not as immersive unless you're talking about virtual reality. It's it's and it's not evolving the way that this seems to be, and it's certainly not all encompassing. Like this entire house is one big piece of many different technologies that do all these tiny little jobs for you. You know, like we still bathe ourselves. We don't need to have a machine scrubbing us for our for us. You know, but in a way, he sort of predicted just how immersed in technology we would be, uh, but not with a a happy ending. (laughs) Quite true. Uh, So real life then. Um, One of the things that, you know, whenever I talk about Ray Bradbury, I talk about Ray Bradbury as a guy that I knew from when I was little. Um, And one of the things is when you look at him as a person, he is a guy who was a, I don't want to say a rampant pessimist, but he was on that, that realm. But one of the things that's amazing is he, as a storyteller, was one of the greatest people who ever lived. He could wrap you up in a story and keep you going for days. And I think that his ability to tell a story is great. His ability here, though, is to show the story. And as much as I hate show, don't tell. <laughs> it is It is a best practice for a reason. But I know, there are times... There are, of course, times that you need to tell, but it can't be all telling or else it's just, you know, you're not going to be immersed like you are in this. That's true. Yeah. Dang it, you ended on a brilliant note. Oh, gotta get, ah. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> so, Christy, now that you've so brilliantly come up with the best point you could possibly make about the belt, uh, what are we going to do next? Next, we are going to be reading and discussing A City of Churches, by Donald Bartolome. So yes, that is a fascinating one with a real kicky in the pants ending. So uh, I'm, I'm excited to reread that and talk about it. Excellent. Well, I'm always looking forward to that too, because I love reading. Yes, okay. that's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we like reading and talking. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, this has been Short Story. Short Podcast. Short Podcast.